Please don't delete your crush's boyfriend or husband in real life. This could have serious consequences. Yeah, it really depends on who they are. Hey everybody, welcome to this gelatinous shapeshifter powered episode of Super Sci-Fi Party, the only podcast where we talk exclusively about fun science fiction movies, TV shows, and more. No post-apocalyptic downer sci-fi allowed. My name is Todd Kinsley, and with me as always is my muckless, lagooning, ex-wife swooning, Star Trek lampooning co-host and brother, Scott Kinsley. How are you doing today, Scott? Doing well, thanks. Today we're going to be talking about the TV series The Orville, specifically the episode Lasting Impressions, which debuted on March 21st, 2019. In honor of the TV series The Orville, today our top 10 list is Top 10 list of Star Trek parody characters we're waiting to see on The Orville. Number 10, AA, the omnipotent substance abuse counselor. Number 9, Panish Mont, the Klingon nanny. Kapla! Number eight, Commander William T. Biker, the Hell's Angel First Officer. Number seven, Lieutenant Commander Paris Hilton, the emotionless artificial life form. <laughs> Number six, Drunky Blueface, the Romulan Ale Salesman. We'll take two, please. Do you remember getting Romulan Ale when we were at Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas back in the day before it closed? I do indeed. That was an awesome place. For those who don't know, uh, Star Trek The Experience was in the Hilton Hotel in Las Vegas on, well, near the Strip. And it was a themed attraction based loosely on different parts of the old Star Trek series. And part of it was a restaurant bar called Quark's, which was loosely modeled after... Quark's Bar on <laughs> Deep Space Nine. On Deep Space Nine, correct. <laughs> And you used to be able to go there and actually order drinks that you had heard of in the show, and some of them were made up. And do you remember what your favorite thing to eat there was? Uh, probably the potato skins, but I forget what they were called. See, I remember mine very well. It was called the Holy Rings of Beta Zed, and it was a stack of onion rings that started with a really large one at the bottom, and then they tapered off. They were on a stick, I think, and it went successively thinner all the way up, so it was stacked correctly. And I always thought it was really clever that they called it the Holy Rings of Beta Zed. Yeah, it was awesome. Number five on our top ten list of Star Trek parody characters we're waiting to see on the Orville, Lieutenant Dorf, the miniature Klingon golf bro. <laughs> Uh, number four, Loxana Roy, the podcast scene-stealing Betazoid ambassador. Inside joke. Uh-oh. Number three, Ensign Wesley, the crusher, galactic <laughs> wrestling champion. Oh, yeah. Snap into it. <laughs> number two, Jordy the Forge, the ship's blacksmith. That could be interesting. I really want to see a warp reactor forge. <laughs> it could be, what's that reality show that you like where they're forging metal weapons? Forged in Fire? Forged in Fire, Star Trek edition. Let's see it. Yeah, they could make a bat lift, I guess. Uh, they, they specialize in bladed weapons. 
And number one on our top 10 list of Star Trek parody characters we're waiting to see on the Orville, Chief Science Officer Yuck Yuck, the Vulcan stand-up comic. <laughs> yeah, all right. The TV series The Orville, specifically the episode Lasting Impressions, debuted on Fox Television on March 21st, 2019. Scott, what was competing with The Orville on TV in 2019? Uh, we had Fresh Off the Boat. Followed by Speechless. Oh, the boat. Yep. Sorry, what was the second one? <laughs> Speechless. I'm, I'm, I don't know that one offhand. Uh-uh. Uh, let me see. We also had NCAA Basketball Tournament, also known as March Madness. Wah, wah. And a show called The Blacklist. So it really didn't have a whole lot of competition that particular night, except for NCAA if you're into sports. Yep. The Orville is an American science fiction comedy drama television series created by and starring Seth MacFarlane. The show is heavily inspired by and somewhat a spoof of Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation. The show follows the adventures of the starship USS Orville. Seasons 1 and 2 were released on Fox TV with season 3 to be released on Hulu in late 2021. Come on, Hulu, finish it up. We'll see. It's been quite the it's been quite the gap. I'll say I'm hoping they managed to follow through with it because it's a good show. I think Fox tanked it and then Hulu decided to save it because there was already a long gap even before COVID started. Mm. So we've been waiting for a long time for season three of the Orville. Hopefully people will still care by the time they finally get around to releasing it. The series plot of the Orville is extremely easy to convey, unlike a lot of the things we talk about here on Super Sci-Fi Party. Uh, The Orville is the story of the starship USS Orville, exploring the galaxy in the 25th century. That's it. (laughs) There's got to be more. There's got to be subplots and and murder plots. Well, per episode there is, but as far as just the base plot of the series, that's it. It's the Orville exploring the galaxy, just like the Enterprise explored the galaxy in at least three other TV shows and... USS Voyager explored the galaxy, although they kind of had an overall arcing plot line to the whole series where they're trying to get home, but I like the simplicity of it. It's just basically a straight up ripoff of Star Trek. Yeah, but since I love Star Trek, uh, that works. Absolutely. The episode we're talking about today specifically is Lasting Impressions, which was directed by Kelly Cronin, written by Seth MacFarlane, who of course also created the Orville, and he is best known for Family Guy. Um, I can't say I'm a big Seth MacFarlane fan. No. Well, I should say I'm not a big Seth MacFarlane fan outside of the Orville. I'm a huge Seth MacFarlane fan as far as his work on the Orville goes. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, for the most part, his body of work is a little uh, what people call sophomoric for my taste nowadays. I don't know for me if it's so much that it's sophomoric is that it's just one step too far on the over the top, uh, untasteful category. I mean, I'm far from an Uber PC person, but I really, his stuff is just always just one step too far. Yeah. I think he tried very hard early in his career to top South Park. Yes. And I think it pushed him to go just, he, you know, his big success is the animated Family Guy, where he took a lot of cues from The Simpsons, but he tried to, well, modernize it, which means pushing the humor even farther off the edge. And I think in trying to do that, he caused The Simpsons to actually compete with Family Guy. 
So they pushed themselves farther to the point where I stopped watching Simpsons. And then he tried to top their topping and it over. It was an escalation. It was like nuclear war. That's called mutually assured destruction. And I think it kind of destroyed both shows in my opinion. But uh, so to be clear, Seth MacFarlane, don't like him except love him in the Orville. So I guess I can't say I don't like him anymore. I mean, I really like the Orville as a concept. I like the Orville in practice and I like him on the Orville. So it's just a really great, I think it started as just a straight parody of Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation, but it kind of developed especially in the second season, into more of an actual sci-fi show, sci-fi adventure show, with some humor thrown in. So so I don't really know anymore if it's a straight-up parody of Star Trek as much as it is competition for Star Trek. Yeah, it did take itself, in my opinion, too, out of the parody category and more into what we really love, which is lighthearted sci-fi, where you can do some, you know, deeper storylines, but then you also keep it light by adding in little touches here and there to keep it fun. Oh, you mean fun sci-fi? What a concept. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah, the Orville is kind of the embodiment of fun science fiction, actually. It needs to become the poster child show of, of our podcast. As I said, the Orville episode Lasting Impressions was written by Seth MacFarlane and it starred Seth MacFarlane as Captain Ed Mercer, Adrian Licky as Commander Kelly Grayson, Penny Johnson Gerald as Dr. Claire Finn, Scott Grimes as Lieutenant Gordon Malloy, Peter Macon as Lieutenant Commander Bordis, Jessica Zor as Lieutenant Talia Kiali. Jay Lee as Lieutenant Commander John Lamar, Mark Jackson as Isaac, Chad L. Coleman as Clyden, and Rachel McFarlane as the voice of the computer. And I see a little tie-in here because (laughs) Seth McFarlane's sister is Rachel McFarlane, and I believe it's similar to how Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry cast his wife, Majel Barrett, as the voice of the ship's computer, on Star Trek across all of the early TV series up through Voyager and some of the movies. And in this episode, uh, the main guest star is Leighton Meester, who plays Laura Higgins, who is, uh, we'll get into the plot a bit later, but she is delightful in this role. Very crushworthy in this episode, as she is supposed to be. That's her primary function as a character. (laughs) To be a person someone could fall in love with across hundreds of years. And I think she did a fantastic job. Um, People might know Leighton Meester from her role in Single Parents, which until COVID was running in first run on TV. Uh, We actually watched that show, even though neither one of us are parents, because it's quite hilarious. And in this episode, as we'll see when we talk about the plot, Leighton plays Laura Higgins, who, as a hobby is a light pop singer, and they show her singing on stage in a really light, wispy voice, which is ironic because on the TV show Single Parents, her character (laughs) loves the metal band Slayer, and there's an episode where she actually sings Slayer's song, Rain in Blood. Nice. We love Leighton Meester, who plays Laura Higgins in this episode of The Orville. Random fact about Leighton Meester there. Uh, Apparently a day before this episode aired, 20th Century Fox released a music video of her performing a cover of That's All I've Got to Say. 
it was shot in the same bar that's used in the episode and everything, just with some slightly different camera angles. And it is ended up on her own personal YouTube page as well. The Orville was Fox Television's highest rated Thursday show, which brings us to before we get into the plot of our specific episode this week, uh, just a little bit about the Orville versus Star Trek. Because a lot of people online say that the Orville is the Star Trek that we wanted when instead we got Discovery. Yes, that is that is very true. Discovery is a fine show in its own right, but to me it seems like they tried really hard not to be Star Trek. Downer. Yes. To be fair, I've only watched a handful of episodes from the first season. I started episode one, season one, and I was like, hooray, Star Trek. (laughs) Then the second episode, hooray, Star Trek. Third episode, Mm. I don't know what this is. Fourth episode, shoot me, please shoot me. (laughs) I'm so depressed. Hey, but they branded it Star Trek, so that makes it all better. Well, there's a very complicated problem with calling it Star Trek. And it has to do with the rights ownership, and I can't even remember all the details off the top of my head, but there are two business entities that somehow own different stakes in Star Trek. So you can call it Star Trek, but you can't use the characters from Star Trek, or they can't look like the characters from classic Star Trek, and you have to use a different logo and different costumes. You can call them Klingons, but they can't look like Klingons. It's really weird. <laughs> they look like fish people or something, from what I remember. Yeah, I don't know when it happened, but you are right. The TV studio and the movie studio, like you said, have different properties, both named Star Trek based off of Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. But like you said, there's a lot of stuff that can't cross over. It's really weird. So it can be Star Trek, but it can't be Star Trek. And it certainly is both of those. Although I thought that that, that they were going to merge back sometime recently if they haven't already. Yeah, I don't know if that has happened yet, but hopefully they can get that cleared up so we can get Star Trek. Like Star Trek, a movie um, from 20, whenever, 10, (laughs) whenever the newest Star Trek movie was created um, and its sequel I really liked those. I thought they were good. I thought they felt like Star Trek, but as far as TV Star Trek goes, it's kind of been pretty much a miss and a miss for me. Yep. According to the TV and movie review site Rotten Tomatoes, Star Trek Discovery has an average audience score of 42%, which means 42% of people that rate it on Rotten Tomatoes give it a thumbs up score. Whereas the Orville has an average audience score of 94%. (laughs) This just proves what I've been saying for a long time before I even started this podcast. People want fun. Yeah, you do get enough dark and depressing in real life. You want TV to be an escape from that. Exactly. If If you need downer, pessimistic, terrible things in your entertainment, uh, turn on the news. Read a newspaper, listen to the radio. It's all it's all there waiting for you. But if you want escapism fun, sci-fi fun, that's what people want. People want sci-fi fun. And the Orville embodies it very, very well. Like I say, the Orville is the Star Trek that we wanted. Why it has to be called the Orville, I don't know. <laughs> Enough of that for now. Looking at the episode Lasting Impressions, the crew of the Orville discover a time capsule from the year 2015. 
Now, inside this time capsule, I believe there is a cell phone, which is the main plot device, and then there are some other miscellaneous things. I think there's a little jokey joke here and there about some of the other stuff. But the main thing is they find a cell phone that someone donated to be put into the time capsule from the year 2015. Ooh, so long ago. <laughs> and it turns out to be Leighton Meester's. Well, actually, it turns out to be her character's cell phone. The A storyline is about pilot Gordon Malloy developing a crush on a woman whose cell phone from 2015 is found in a time capsule. What would you do if you found a phone that was hundreds of years old in a time capsule? <laughs> Probably very much like they did. We'd be like, uh, how the heck do you turn that on? No, you would freak out because hundreds of years ago, there were no phones. And you'd be like, wow, this changes history as we know it. Touche. Especially if you found a cell phone. You'd be like, what the What? The medieval ages, somebody's there. Dang it, why doesn't anyone text me back? In my medieval ages, they had cell phones. Awesome. They may have been magic powered, you know, but... I forgot, we can all just believe what we want now. That's right. The earth is triangular. Gordon Malloy is looking through this long dead woman's cell phone, which is kind of creepy if you think about it, but she donated it, so it's not like he's a creeper. And he looks at her text messages and her emails and her photos and he starts to get her social media posts and he starts to get a feeling for what she was like and he decides that he would like to meet her. So he did what anyone would do if they lived in a sci-fi show in the 25th century and he goes to the environmental simulator, which is basically the Orville's version of Star Trek Holodeck. And he gives the phone to the computer and tells it to extrapolate this person from all the information inside her phone. First of all, let's talk about the whole idea of a holodeck or environmental simulator, as the <laughs> Orville calls it. Uh, basically, this is a place. It is a giant room or hall within the ship where holographic projectors are used to simulate different environments. Like you could go in and say, Earth, Desert, 2012, and it would look exactly like you were in the desert on Earth in 2012 somewhere. Or you could get really specific and say, I want to see uh, an event that happened in history, like assassination, President Lincoln, Ford Theater, or you could say whatever you wanted to. And it would do a super accurate representation and it would look like you were actually inside the event at the time it was happening. And there would be characters, what I guess we would call in our, in our century non-player characters, who could interact with you and talk to you and punch you and do whatever with you, depending on what the uh, settings are. And I like how you added punch you in there. Yeah, well, there's in Star Trek TNG, they seem to do a lot of fighting in the holodeck. So. Yeah, combat training. Yeah. So basically, you can live out your wildest fantasies inside the simulator. And I can't even imagine what it would be like to have that kind of power, be able to just drum up your biggest dreams. Uh, if you're a Star Trek fan, you know that the holodeck has been featured in several episodes, including Star Trek The Next Generation's Galaxy's Child, in which Geordi LaForge falls in love with Dr. Brahms. Remember that episode? Oh, yes. He basically simulates a doctor, who I believe is a PhD, not an MD, to help him with some kind of engineering problem. But through working with her to solve the problem, he falls in love with the holodeck simulation of a woman. 
There's another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation called Hollow Pursuits, in which Lieutenant Barclay seems to... Well, he falls in love and then some. He just completely (laughs) goes into an alternate world and doesn't want to come out. (laughs) There's another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation called Elementary Dear Data, where a character in the holodeck actually becomes self-aware and sentient, which uh, I think is probably a little bit beyond what you want to do in the holodeck. Yeah, especially that character, because he was able to affect the ship outside of the holodeck. And I believe there are references in Star Trek Deep Space Nine to, uh, let's say, we'll call them some adult activities taking place in holodecks. Yeah, seems like a safe way to do that. So just imagine an environment in which you can make anything real that you want, uh, present or past, or even speculated future or fiction. It doesn't have to be a real place. It's true. Because Captain Picard like to uh, like to go into some kind of 19 fictional 1920s novels I think and go around and fight gangsters and whatnot <laughs> yes he did yes he did all I can say is because they talk briefly about hollow addiction especially in the episode hollow pursuits where lieutenant Barkley becomes hollow addicted I think I would be I would have the biggest case of hollow addiction ever <laughs> I would never ever 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 want to come out of the holiday. There's no reason. Why would I come out here when I can have the perfect world in there? And you can still have challenges and things to overcome, but you could always set it to make sure that you win at the last minute. True. It'd be fantastic. I don't think I would ever leave. But the big question is, what would you simulate if we had a holodeck or, as the Orville calls it, environmental simulator? Oh, jeez. What a question. At the moment, kind of wouldn't mind doing like a, a VR version of Skyrim. A video game Skyrim, which is about... About fighting dragons and being super powered. Come on. Yeah, I could see where that would be fun. Uh, somewhat ironically, I think one of the things I would really like to do inside a holodeck simulator is have a simulation of me being in charge of a starship in a Star Trek-like universe. <laughs> Or the Star Trek universe. Very nice. Ah, who was it? Um, Seems like Tom Paris in Voyager had a similar fantasy, although his was done in black and white and looked more like he was the pilot of a uh, Flash Gordon kind of TV series there. That's right. He went old school with his sci-fi hollow simulation. And of course, I would do the rock star thing. Oh, yeah. uh, I'll be late for dinner tonight. I have to go play Wembley Stadium with Lady Gaga. (laughs) I'll be back. All right, now what if we took this same technology and just made it into something that's pretty much in any room in your house, so then you can change the decor like that and just snap of a finger and poof. All right, now I have my medieval times room. Oh, no, now it's going to be a Star Trek room. Or The problem is we're edging closer and closer to the Matrix. Or which, what is it, Ready Player One? Which comes with its <laughs> own problems. Yeah, exactly. They're all kind of connected. They're all... To me, they're all points along a scale. Like there's a line from looking at a drawing of something all the way up to the matrix where you live inside it and you're slave to the computers that created it. (laughs) All these things are just a sliding scale in between the two extremes. But now that we have talked exhaustively about holodecks, (laughs) in this episode of the Orville, pilot Gordon Malloy develops a crush on the woman whose cell phone is in the time capsule from 2015. So he goes into the environmental simulator and says, 
basically, he says, make this woman based on everything that's on her phone. And she appears, and he is in 2015, and she is wonderful, to put it mildly. She's very attractive. She's funny. She's talented. She's pretty much everything that Gordon is looking for. And to make a long story short, he falls in love in the holodeck. I can see this being a real problem if it was to exist in reality, because in real life, human beings have flaws. All human beings have flaws. Think about the person that you crush on the most in the world. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's the girl next door. Maybe it's someone that works at the mall or whoever it is that you crush on the most. And I hate to tell you, but that person has flaws. (gasps) They do not. I know. They have flaws. Some of them very large flaws. But if you were to simulate that person in a holodeck, You could weed out those flaws and they would be perfect to you. Or would they? Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of the point of the episode because Gordon goes into the world. He's basically living in 2015 uh, every time he goes inside and he starts dressing like he's from 2015. And he actually gives the simulated Laura his phone number. Uh, He has the computer make a cell phone for him. He actually starts getting cell phone calls from the computer simulation while he's on the bridge driving the ship. Um, His his simulated girlfriend calls him and they make plans for the night. I mean, it's a very, very realistic simulation. So needless to say, this becomes a problem for the crew because he starts showing up late for his shifts and he invites them to go to a party inside the simulation, which for some reason they don't enjoy at all. Although I thought it looked like a fun party. but I was say it looked fun and they're acting like it's the most awkward thing that ever existed. Yeah, that part could have used a little work. Like it could have, why it was so awkward. Maybe it was just because he was dating a simulation. Maybe that's what creeped them all out. I guess that makes sense. But it becomes a problem and eventually it becomes a problem for Gordon because Laura, the simulated girlfriend, had talked to him previously about her boyfriend that she had before Gordon and apparently they were getting back together and she dumps Gordon and gets back together with her ex-boyfriend, which makes him very, very sad. And I guess this is something that the computer extrapolated would happen based on all her phone messages and email and photos. And of course... Gordon does what anyone would do and deletes the boyfriend from her existence. So he never existed. All right. I'd like to take a moment to uh, say, please don't delete your crush's boyfriend or husband in real life. This could have serious consequences. Yeah, it really depends on who they are. (laughs) I'd be okay with many of them. I'll just go on the record. Although you need to be careful what you put on the record. You don't want to incite people to do something that perhaps they shouldn't do. Don't go there. I have not gone anywhere. I am still here on Super Sci-Fi Party. And the problem Gordon has is when he subtracts this former boyfriend from his simulated girlfriend's life, she is no longer the same. Apparently, the boyfriend was a big influence on her, and she no longer has dreams of being a singer, and she starts to have a personality that is not Gordon's dream personality Even though she's still a nice girl, he starts to realize that without the presence of the ex-boyfriend in her life, that she would not be the person that he wanted to date. The interesting thing is his conclusion is that, oh, he has to leave the ex-boyfriend in her life, so he will just break up with her and save the program and it's (laughs) all over. 
All he really needed to do was say, oh, okay, so erase the boyfriend after the moment that I met her. <laughs> Problem <laughs> yeah, he, solved. He, he's not very creative that way, is he? No, he just really needs to think more evil. <laughs> and everything would work out great, as it usually will in real life, if you think more evil. That's right. He could have had the boyfriend get run over by a car or exactly say, ghost her or something. Yeah. <laughs> the moment I met her, he moves to Pluto. <laughs> Since there is no atmosphere there, it would be a very short trip. <sighs> Bang. But he doesn't think of that, and he thinks he needs to bring up with her. And it's a big lesson about how we're all influenced by all the people we meet throughout our lives, good and bad, which is fine. Is <laughs> this lessons? It's supposed to be fun. Well, it is fun, but then there's a little lesson. It's just like it's like Star Trek used to do. Um, but if you really want the even more fun storyline, <laughs> uh, the B story is about how Lieutenant Commander Bordis and his mate Clyden are addicted to smoking. Now, to me, Bordis and Clyden would be the Orville's version of Klingons. Absolutely. Yep. They're big and tough and aggressive and masculine. And something I really love about what Orville does, the Orville does with these two characters, is it takes the two most masculine, macho, hothead, aggressive characters in the series and makes them a gay couple. Actually, a gay married couple, which I think is really flipping a stereotype on its head. And I love it. I love it when characters subvert expectations and they go against stereotypes. Plus, it's just really, really funny. <laughs> it really is. So in this episode, one of the things recovered from the time capsule from 2015 is a pack of cigarettes. And Commander Bordis and his mate Clyden become very, very, very addicted to smoking in a very short time. As it turns out, their species is very susceptible to nicotine addiction. And I get the feeling that Seth MacFarlane was probably a smoker at some point, just based on the way it's written. <laughs> it seems like whoever wrote it really can relate to nicotine addiction and being addicted to smoking. And they hide cigarettes all over their dwelling and... They fight with each other about cigarettes, figuratively and literally. <laughs> they actually start to have a knockdown brawl about cigarettes and smoking. And they try to quit smoking together, but it doesn't really work well. And eventually the doctor cures them as they're on the floor having a fist-to-fist -fist brawl about smoking. It's just a very funny, a funny take on trying to quit smoking when, you know, we've seen it in other shows and movies and even public service announcements and whatnot. But uh, this is two really tough macho gay aliens who are married trying to quit smoking in a 25th century spaceship. <laughs> so it puts a whole new spin on it, and it's hilarious. What did you think about that storyline, Scott? That was a very fun storyline. It's a very fun storyline. Uh, follows up with the general addiction theme of the episode. They're addicted to cigarettes, and uh -huh. Gordon is addicted to his simulated girlfriend, they should have thrown in another storyline about someone being drunk all the time. And <laughs> it seems like the characters on the Orville do a lot of drinking. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I'm really okay with the fact that they just kept it fairly light. Storyline is very light in this episode and fun for the most part until yep. the breakup. And if you think about it, there's really not a main sci-fi plot other than, I guess, hollow addiction, but there's nothing that really happens to the ship the Orville, there's no kind of crisis that the ship needs to avert or the ship is not attacked. The ship doesn't go on a mission. Basically, it's all just about the holodeck and the smoking. 
Yep. I mean, this actually, again, goes back to Seth's love of Star Trek. There were many episodes of TNG where it could just be more or less like a day in the life. There wasn't a big alien battle or war going on. They didn't have to discover or make any scientific advances. It was just really just basic character development. See, I'm having a hard time thinking of one off the top of my head. Uh, What was it? Data's Day, I think, was one of them, where they just follow through his life for a day. He's writing uh, more or less a diary of his day to help out a guy who's working on artificial intelligence. Which kind of reminds me a little bit of Dr. Phlox from Star Trek Enterprise, where he does a lot of writing to another doctor that's at a research station. And I think it's primarily done as a device to speak to the audience. Because, you know, I'm writing to Dr. So-and-so and and telling him about my thoughts and feelings and what's happening on the shipment. I think it's a great plot device so that a character can speak directly to the audience without just turning and breaking the fourth wall and going, hello, (laughs) sci-fi viewers, shout out from the Enterprise. Today, I'm feeding my muggle worms, whatever it is. I don't know. Remember, he had all kinds of... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. All kinds of organic organisms that he would use to treat various medical maladies on Star Trek Enterprise. Yep, he was definitely into the alien biological cures for everything. Anyway, something that I noticed about the Orville series, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, is it really seemed to change between season one and season two. Season one seemed a lot more like you would expect Seth MacFarlane's sci-fi series to be. There's more kind of toilet humor kind of things, fart jokes and gelatinous cubes having sex with ladies and all kinds of, you know, (laughs) things you would expect from a Seth MacFarlane series. But then season two is almost like he plays it straight and then there's just the occasional laughs thrown in to keep it light and funny. But it's not, it kind of started out as a spoof of sci-fi or a sci-fi comedy drama. And now it seems like it's a sci-fi action adventure show or a sci-fi adventure show with comedy thrown in. Really seems like it's become, instead of being a spoof, it kind of seems like it's become the thing it was spoofing. Yeah, it really did. I mean, it started to turn around kind of towards the end of the first season. Like, I think he started getting feedback and going, holy crap, people are liking this even just as a sci-fi show and then kind of rolled with it. Yeah, I think it was probably a surprise to him that so many people thought it was better than the new Star Trek. Not a surprise to me. (laughs) But he, I think he probably went, wow, instead of pretending to take jabs at the thing that I love, because I believe he truly loves Star Trek or he could have never written this series. Yep, that's what I've heard. But he's like, I could be the new Star Trek, basically. It seems like he even made it into an episode or two of, what, Enterprise, I think? Really? Like they were like really the, the last season of it. I think he made it in, yes. I think you are correct. I've been re-watching those recently just for something to watch late at night when I have insomnia, and but I haven't been able to spot him yet. So he's either in heavy character makeup or I haven't gotten to the part. I'm finally up to the beginning of the fourth season. Ah, the fun season. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll we'll see if he shows up. But don't even get me started on Enterprise. We'll have to talk about Enterprise at some point because I consider some of that to be very fun. Absolutely. Minus the third season. Uh, The Expanse. Mm. 
So do you have anything else to say about the Orville or about this specific episode? Oh, one of the things I like about the Orville are how many Star Trek folks are sneaking their way into it from the various series. Like who? Uh, well, you have... Uh, well, I know in, in the episode... Well, I know in the episode we've been speaking of, Lasting Impressions, that there is a certain Vulcan at the beginning. <laughs> That's right. Tuvok plays the historian who's carrying the time capsule back to wherever. And Tuvok is... He is the security officer from Voyager. Tuvok, a character from Star Trek Voyager, the actor who plays him, shows up as a science person who is not a recurring character... Yep. On the Orville, but shows up to show the crew the discovery of the time capsule from 2015 in this episode. Yeah, he's kind of sloppy, though. I mean, he lets the one guy get a hold of the cell phone that's supposed to be a historic artifact and does stuff with it. Another group gets hold of cigarettes from the uh, time capsule. That's a very good point. He is not a very safe historian. Oh. Real historians would have that stuff locked down. <laughs> it would never leave the room. They'd have everything in segregated four fields, and you think they'd want to preserve everything, but you're right. He just walks around the ship with that phone for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like got it in his quarters and hanging out. I'm sure we could do that. We could just go to the Natural History Museum in Washington, D.C. and grab something and just take it home and hang out. Yeah, they wouldn't mind. They'd be like, sure, no problem. You're one of the most notable TNG characters that got onto the Orville was Marina Sirtis. And apparently she plays a teacher on the Orville, but it would be who on TNG, Todd? She would be Counselor Deanna Troy. Yes. A Betazoid who is uh, empathic in that she can read feelings from other people. Not their thoughts, but their feelings. And even more interestingly is Jonathan Frakes directed that episode with her in it. That makes sense. Commander Riker from TNG. He directed, I think, uh, episodes of TNG even while he was still starring in it, right? Yes. Yeah, he ended up directing a lot of the Star Trek shows, you know, an episode here or there from all of the series. Well, I've explained many of my thoughts on the Orville as we've gone along in this episode, but overall, I'd just like to repeat that the Orville is what I was hoping for from a new Star Trek. And I didn't see it when I watched the first few episodes of Star Trek Discovery. Well, you've been watching Star Trek Picard. Yes. Is that a fun sci-fi show? It gets more fun towards the end. I know it's nostalgic, but is it fun? Yes. Like I said, it gets more fun towards the end, but then they also hit on very serious topics and blah, blah, blah. blah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Well, sci-fi has always kind of done that, but I think the brilliance of Star Trek, The Next Generation especially, and even to a lesser extent, the original Star Trek series, was that it was always infused with some kind of comedy, um, with The Next Generation being intentional and the original series not necessarily being intentional. <laughs> I mean, there was occasional jokes and things where Captain Kirk would take pokes at the crew, especially the Doctor or Spock, and it, there would be some funny lines. And then there were some things that were funny just because it's really old sci-fi. <laughs> it hasn't necessarily aged supremely well, although most of it has aged pretty well. Come on, like the last two minutes of almost every episode was, like you said, Kirk ripping on Spock and McCoy. And it's and true. The, the comical music. Wah, 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 wah. 
There's also a lot of scenes of uh, Kirk fighting a rubber doll or <laughs> someone who is supposed to be Kirk, his stuntman that looks like he's two inches taller and 20 pounds heavier than Kirk fighting yeah. fist to fist. The, the high definition re- reworks of it. It, it do not hide the stuntmen very well. No, you can you can clearly <laughs> see what is and what is not a stuntman on that show. <laughs> and you could also see some things that you couldn't see in the original run, like uh, seams in the costumes and zippers. And Oh, does that Gorn have a zipper on the side of his costume? Maybe. maybe. <laughs> so you're saying the, uh, the hard-hitting and uh, drama-filled episode, Trouble with Tribbles, you know, is not lighthearted? So. <laughs> well, exactly. Trouble with Tribbles, <laughs> comedy. There was actually, now that I think about it, there was more comedy injected into the original series than I was remembering right off the top of my head. Anytime they had Harry Mud on there. Exactly. But the Orville, two thumbs up from me, two thumbs up from Scott, I'm quite certain. Absolutely. It's the Star Trek we all wanted. They just didn't call it Star Trek. Which really, since the other TV Star Treks can be called Star Trek, but in ways don't look like Star Trek or sound <laughs> like Star Trek or have Star Trek plot lines. It's true. None of the Star Trek humor, especially uh, none of the TNG type humor. Um, it's kind of a wash as to what is the Star Trek that we wanted. To me, the Orville in every way except the name is the Star Trek that we wanted. Well, maybe if they could have progressed it a little bit, Gone just a little bit more into the future because it's, I believe, 25th century is what the Orville is supposed to be, whereas TNG is what, 24th? 24th, yeah. 24th, so they went 100 years farther, but because it's a different sci-fi universe, technically, uh, they don't really seem to have advanced technology much. It's pretty much a direct ripoff of where they were at TNG. Yeah, it really is, yeah. But two definite thumbs up for the Orville uh, especially if you're an old school Star Trek fan and you haven't seen the Orville, I highly recommend it. Especially if you can make it through some of the questionable first season and get into the second season where it really starts to become a true sci-fi adventure show. I think you're going to love it. Well, I guess that about wraps it up for our The Orville episode. Uh, we hope you had fun hanging out with us today on Super Sci-Fi Party Podcast. If you'd like to tell us what you think about the Orville, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook, or send us an email at party at com. That's party at com. We'd be more than happy to hear from you. Remember, you can also learn more about the show by visiting our website at com. And if you enjoy Super Sci-Fi Party, please pass it along to your awesome sci-fi loving friends and family. We need your help to spread the word about the fun science fiction that exists out in the world. I'm serious. Right now, <laughs> copy the link to Super Sci-Fi Party podcast and paste it in a text to one of your cool sci-fi friends. Do it. Do it right now. Until next time, for a super sci-fi party, I'm Todd Kinsley. I'm Scott Kinsley. And in the immortal words of Doc Brown from Back to the Future, the future is what you make it, so make it a good one. Das Fadanya, everyone. See ya.
Zabidwin! <laughs>